You are listening to National Security Law Today. We're back with National Security Law Today with a really important question. Can you handle the truth? Yes, we can. We are here to discuss the few good men and women of the JAG Corps. For the uninitiated, these are our uniformed military lawyers. Well, you know what? That saves on dry cleaning, darn it. I like that. All right. For all of you millennials out there who have no idea what we're talking about, we're referencing the classic 1992 film thriller, earlier a play, called A Few Good Men. And we'll be sure to put up the YouTube clip in the show notes because you don't want to miss that. It was a high mo- high watermark for Jack Nichols. It was something that we all said in the 90s multiple, multiple times. Um, and in further celebration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, we're back with yet another female superstar in the world of national security. We are delighted today to talk all things JAG, shorthand for Judge Advocate, with recently retired Air Force Colonel Julie Hugan. In her 21-year career, she served at almost every organizational level in the Air Force, from the wing all the way to the office of the Judge Advocate General, or TJAG. And her final assignment was as a senior appellate military judge in the United States Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals. This is going to be a two-part series because we've got a lot to talk about. First, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a JAG. And next week, we're going to get into some substantive legal issues. Welcome, Julie. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. I am very excited to be here, and especially to be talking about uh, and trying to encourage people to think about a career as an Air Force JAG. So jumping right off from that, can you tell us what made you decide to get into the JAG Corps and what appealed to you about it? Of course. Um, So I was in my last year of law school at the University of Maryland. Uh, I was clerking at the then Defense Mapping Agency, and I was also interning at the National Security Council. Um, I knew uh, getting ready to leave law school that I wanted to work in public service. I knew that I wanted to get some experience in criminal law, which would not be possible if I stayed with a federal agency unless I moved over to the Department of Justice. Um, And I knew that I wanted, at least in the short term, to live somewhere other than Washington, D.C. So, right, I know, it's hard. Long-term Washingtonians offended at that statement, go on. And I had a lot of coworkers who either were JAGs um, at the time that I was working with them, or they had been JAGs at some point in the past, or they were still uh, JAGs, but they were in the reserve or the guard as JAGs. Um, And they all suggested that I look into becoming a JAG because they figured the things that I was listing as the things I wanted to do next, uh, becoming a JAG, I could do all of those things. So did you indeed get experience in criminal law and live somewhere other than D.C.? Absolutely. And it, of course, is working in public service. Um, So all of those things happened. Um, And by uh, somewhat uh, twisted logic, when I selected Air Force JAG, I didn't knowingly at the time, but uh, I definitely realize now that getting experience in criminal law was was going to come along with that package regardless. Um, So yes, in my first assignment, I did prosecute several courts martial, um, and I lived somewhere other than D.C., so right off the bat, uh, my first assignment was in Spokane, Washington. Uh, I spent a year at my first assignment, which is a little short (laughs) for your first assignment, Uh, but then I spent a year in Korea, um, and after the year in Korea, then I moved to England for three years. So definitely... 
got several years <laughs> right off the bat outside of D.C., and then I got brought back to D.C. after three years. It, it happens. It yes. does happen. <laughs> it's like there's a center of gravity here in D.C. Um, so can you tell us uh, a little bit for potential recruits, can you talk about the process of becoming a JAG? Of course. Um, so there are JAGs in every uniform service. So Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, which is the, the Marine JAGs are separate from the Navy JAGs, um, and there are also Coast Guard JAGs. There are also active duty JAGs, and there are JAGs who are reservists and guardsmen. So it's kind of every... Uh, flavor that you could think of in terms of serving in the military, there are JAGs in all, that fit all of those categories. Um, each service does have slightly different requirements, uh, slightly different application processes um, and accession programs, but um, what I'm going to speak about today, which is uh, ac- applying for and being an active duty Air Force JAG, it really applies to all of the services, either exactly the same or so close that you can basically consider it uh, the same. Um, there are programs to apply to enter uh, the Air Force and be a JAG even before you go to law school. Uh, there are programs to apply as a first year or a second year or a third year law student. Um, and there are programs to apply as an already licensed attorney. Um, and kind of the things to keep in mind is that uh, for the Air Force in particular, the JAG Corps, when we say JAG Corps, what we're referring to is a group of about 1,300 JAGs who are on duty in the Air Force, which so, you know, when you hear um, folks talk about the size of their law firm, and then you hear the Judge Advocate Generals referring to the size of the law firm that they're in charge of, no kidding, they're in charge of a very lo- large law firm. Uh, the Army has about 14 to 1,500 active duty JAGs. The Air Force has about 1,300. Um, the Navy, which is structured differently, has about seven to 800 JAGs on active duty at any given time. Um, so the most common way people become active duty Air Force JAGs is to apply in their third year of law school. Um, and they apply for what we call the direct appointment program, which means that if they're accepted, they'll receive a direct appointment as a commissioned officer and a JAG. It's one and the same, it's, or it's a two-for-one combination. And uh, they are doing that and accepting that appointment into the Air Force without any prior military obligation. So they're not coming in because they have to come in. They're purely volunteering to come in. Um, And then their coming into the Air Force as a JAG is also dependent on they have to graduate from law school. (laughs) Kind of important. Yes. Kind of of a better look. Uh, They have to pass a bar exam, and they have to be admitted to um, a state bar. Okay. So if I've been commissioned and I've made it through training, what can I expect um, at my first assignment? Yes. So before we jump to first assignment, I will answer the question that certainly all of my family and friends asked when they realized that I was thinking about becoming a JAG, which is, do you have to go to basic training? Um, Because they had all seen the movies (laughs) and the television shows, and they wanted to know if I was going to have to shave my hair off. and Mm -hmm. G.I. Jane, another another staple of the 90s. Everybody go watch your Jimmy Moore movie. (laughs) Or cry out, I got no place to go. Um, So no, you do not, when you are entering uh, any of the services as a commissioned officer and a judge advocate, um, you do not attend basic training, (laughs) um, which is what, 
the training course, initial training course that people who are enlisting in the service have to attend. Instead, um, direct appointees into the Air Force, you attend a six-week commissioned officer training, uh, and then after you complete that, then you go to JAG training for about two months. Once you've got that training out of the way, then you go to your first assignment. Um, and uh, Air Force JAGs, you come in as a first lieutenant, um, and then after six months, you're automatically promoted to captain. So the joke is we kind of keep you hidden for about six months while we're having you you know, drink from a fire hose and figure out what it is to be a JAG so that by the time any actual airman sees you, they just see a captain sitting in front of them, which means that uh, they don't actually know if you have you know, six months on active duty or if you have five years on active duty. So it's up to you to kind of fake it till you... <laughs> wow. And so just for the uh, civilians out there, uh, the, the rank order is second lieutenant. That's your little baby, 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 first commissioned type of person. And then yeah. first lieutenant is little silver bars and a captain is the third rank that you can get as an officer um so most people come in and get commissioned and they start off as a second lieutenant and you stick around for two years if you want to be a jag you get fast tracked right to that captain pretty quickly yes. so that's uh that's appealing to lots of people except for marines so marine jags do uh have to complete all of the training that all marine officers have to complete uh, and then they do uh, come in as second lieutenants. So they're the only type of JAG who comes in as all other commissioned officers in their service come in. Right, because you are a marine before you're anything else (laughs) and they will tell you that. (laughs) Over and over again until they drop dead. Yes. (laughs) Back to your first assignment. So what can you expect? So first assignment. Uh, For Air Force JAGs, uh, our first assignments are all take place at the wing. So the Air Force wing is the basic kind of unit uh, that most people, whether they know it or not, think of when they think of the Air Force because a wing equates to an Air Force base. So if you pick any Air Force base in the world, whether it's uh, Joint Base Andrews over in Maryland or um, whether it's, I don't know, Kunsan Air Base in Korea where I was also stationed, the Air Force unit that's in charge of an Air Force base is a wing. And so for Air Force JAGs for first assignment, they're all assigned to the legal office of a wing, which means the legal office of an Air Force base. Um, They always have a primary job, and then they have these two other sets of duties. For the primary job, it could be uh, heading the legal office's program in any of the areas of practice that that legal office is engaged in. There are two other sets of duties are, first of all, they prosecute courts martial and they provide legal assistance. So prosecuting courts martial is basically our criminal military justice system. And in Air Force Courts Martial, uh, we charge and we try for criminal cases on criminal charges out of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Air Force members who are accused of committing those crimes, and it's where they um, are alleged to have committed them anywhere in the world. Uh, In terms of providing legal assistance, that's basically acting as a personal lawyer and meeting with military members, with uh, military retirees, and spouses of military members and spouses of military retirees, and providing them uh, legal advice and consultation on personal matters. So everything from if they need to get a simple will drafted to um, if they want to talk to somebody about what state law is relevant uh, on a child custody or child support matter, to um, they're having a dispute with their landlord 
and they want to know what the local landlord-tenant law says. And don't forget taxes, because every, and this is a rite of passage, every young JAG has to serve in the base tax office. <laughs> and do taxes. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute, I thought we were trying to get people to want to yes. drive, join well, the JAG. It is a useful skill, I will let you know. Um, <laughs> and it's a computer program. Wow, so um, you're, uh, you have your course martial, which is your military prosecutions, and not everybody can be prosecuted by course martial, right? Right. Uh, so it's only military members who can be court martialed. Um, but there are some other practices. It's not just, so that's what you can expect from your first assignment, but there are a lot of other practice areas you could enter as an Air Force JAG or other military JAG, right? Absolutely. Um, some of it is dependent on the particular legal office and what the, the needs are from that base or that Air Force wing in terms of where they need legal advice coming from the legal office. Um, as a basic proposition, though, pretty much every wing legal office um, has lawyers who are practicing in the area of military justice and adverse actions, who are practicing in the area of civil and administrative law, um, and who are practicing in the area of legal assistance, of course. Um, in addition to that, most legal offices have some combination of other practice areas, the most common being um, contracts law, uh, contracts and fiscal law. Um, you always have at least one lawyer who's involved in ethics advice. Uh, you have lawyers who are involved in uh, environmental law um, and also labor and employment law. Uh, air and space law, depending on the type of mission that the wing has, um, and then international and operations law, with international law coming into play, of course, if it's an overseas base somewhere. So there's quite a lot of opportunities. So it's not just, okay, we're going to do prosecutions. So if you don't like being in court, there's still a role for you. Absolutely. And in fact, in your first assignment as an Air Force JAG, um, while we have everybody prosecute courts martial, which is a two, there's a twofold reason for that. First of all, that's to figure out who, even though they think they want to be in the criminal courtroom, <laughs> uh, for whatever law school experience oh, yeah. that they had, however many moot courts they did, um, we actually want to know what their interest is once they've actually been in a criminal trial um, as a prosecutor. The other half of it is, is the Air Force JAG Corps assessing who's good <laughs> when they are placed One in criminal litigation. That, that would be a factor? Yes. Talent. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But the other aspect is we want to give you exposure to the real-world practice in all of these other uh, areas of practice that Air Force JAGs are engaged in, uh, both to develop uh, basic knowledge, a basic skill set, but also to figure out what happens next as you stay in for however long you stay in in the Air Force JAG Corps. So when I reflect on my own Air Force JAG experience, um, one of the things that was really appealing to me was coming right out of law school and jumping right into the courtroom. A lot of my friends who went on to firms were writing letters, writing motions, you know, footnoting things, which is also a skill, um, but it was really exciting to be I mean, terrifying also, let's be real, um, to be <laughs> um, in a courtroom right off the bat. So it's, you know, that's something that's appealing to a lot of people, getting that immediate courtroom experience. Exactly. Right off the bat, you own your own cases. I do have to say, full disclosure, um, and in part to make a... Uh, 
potential clients feel a whole lot better about this scenario is that uh, you are not permitted as a first assignment JAG to defend in courts martial. Um, and apart, there are several reasons for that. One of them is that I know it's the it, obvious. It's, uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, is that uh, um, when you prosecute a courts martial and you're representing the United States government, while that's obviously a huge responsibility, um, because sometimes, depending on the severity of the charges that you're talking about, especially if they involve um, personal violence of any type, uh, is that you are part of the government team. And when I say team, I mean no kidding. You have all of the resources of the United States government for you, and you have a lot of more senior lawyers who are basically going to help you, um, guide you as you prosecute that case, especially in your initial courts martial. But defense counsel, um, as the nature of defense work is, there's a lot of what they do that has to be independent, right? Because client confidentiality, because of the relationship they have to develop with their client. There aren't senior attorneys who can just pop in and out of your case as you're preparing to defend a client in a court-martial um, and basically necessarily guide you along the way. As a result, in the Air Force, we don't allow first assignment JAGs. No matter what experience they bring with them into the Air Force, we don't allow them to defend airmen in courts-martial. We only have them prosecute uh, in courts-martial. So is there a typical career path that JAGs follow? There is a typical career path only in the very broadest sense, which is to say that uh, when we have a first or second, um, sometimes even a third assignment JAG, what we're developing in that person uh, is a really generalist skill set. So kind of mile wide and inch deep. Like we want you to get exposure to all of our areas of practice in kind of as short a time as possible. Again, we're judging both your interest and ability in that area, and also how we, you might be able to fulfill a need of the Air Force and the Air Force JAG Corps um, in that those areas of practice. If, you, if a first assignment JAG stays in beyond really the second assignment and continues on in the Air Force, um, it's in those mid-years of a career that you're most likely to develop a specialty area of practice. Um, and for me, that was international and operations law. Uh, and that means that I had several assignments in which uh, most of the legal work that I did was in my specialty area, which was international operations law. And then again, assuming that you stay in the Air Force for, the, for a JAG career and you stick around <laughs> to become a senior officer, most senior officers then are put into generalist positions again. So it's kind of a, I don't know if you want to think of it as peaking in your mid-years or kind of <laughs> bottoming it out in your mid-years. But as we become a senior officer, you again get put in more generalist positions. And that's largely because our senior JAGs are put in leadership positions where you're not the one who's necessarily doing all the legal work anymore. You're supervising the JAGs um, and the attorneys who are doing uh, the legal work in the offices that you supervise and manage. It sounds like you're developing a really, you know, um, uh, varied skill set. Is that why JAGs are so desirable after they leave the Air Force when you're trying to come out and find a new job? I think um, certainly I would like to think so. <laughs> um, Here, spoiler alert. Yes. yes exactly. Yes. Uh, but I think, you know, it, 
what the JAG Corps gives you the ability to do, um, and I certainly did not fully appreciate this when I was coming into the JAG Corps, I much more appreciate it kind of on the back end, um, is I knew the JAG Corps, unlike most other lawyer jobs for lawyers in the United States, I would have the opportunity to do a lot of travel and live and work in places other than the state in which I was uh, admitted to the bar. Um, but what I also didn't realize was it did give me not only exposure to a bunch of areas of practice, but the opportunity to, no kidding, engage substantively in those different areas of practice. And I think, um, again, you know, for whatever you might think coming out of law school in terms of, well, this is what I want to do. And, you know, there are a lot of law school students who come out thinking, I want to be in the criminal courtroom. I want to be prosecuting or defending in criminal trials. Um, I think actually doing it, uh, as well as doing other other uh, being engaged in other areas of practice, um, you figure out pretty quickly, like, huh, either I was right, that is what I want to do, or maybe not so much. And I think that the biggest, just to give an example of a surprise, so... I mean, I survived contracts in law school. I think that's true for a lot of us, that it's just a matter of surviving I contracts. Att- I attended class. <laughs> right, exactly. Offer acceptance. From that mandatory that course <laughs> of the ABA accredited law school. Um, you, you would have, you could have knocked me over a feather when I was actually engaged in government contract work. And I realized, like, I like this. Um, now, that having been said, I only had to do contracts work for a couple of assignments, so I never really got that interest tested like, at an advanced <laughs> level. But I was surprised how much, when I got into the real-world practice of contracts law, how enjoyable I found it, in part because um, I did not have the same experience in contracts class <laughs> in law school. Um, well, can you expect to deploy as an Air Force JAG? Absolutely. And that ties into another thing that I always make sure I address when I'm speaking with law students about a possible uh, career as a JAG or even just, you know, coming in for the initial commitment as a JAG, is that you are not only a judge advocate, meaning a lawyer in the service, a uniform lawyer in the service, but you are a commissioned officer in the service. And what comes along with that is everything that comes along with military service. So JAGs do deploy. We um, do all the things that other commissioned officers, especially those who are getting ready to deploy or who are deployed, doing everything from weapons qualification uh, to the different skill sets that you need in certain deployment environments, especially combat deployments. Um, And you prepare for everything as much as any uh, officer or member of an armed service prepares for when it comes to deployments. Well, I can tell you some funny stories about barely surviving weapon, weapons training <laughs> <laughs> and almost getting kicked off my deployment, but we'll <laughs> Well, nobody died. Nobody died. <laughs> nobody lost an eye. We're okay. Um, and what was your favorite assignment? Um, favorite assignment. So no question, hands down, in terms of the location, it was uh, the three years that I was assigned in the United Kingdom, in England specifically. Um, there are several Air Force bases in England. Um, and it was kind of for all the obvious reasons that you would think. It's a assignment in a foreign country, but you don't need advanced foreign language skills to be able to <laughs> move around and go to the grocery store. The food and, looks uh, familiar. Yes, exactly. Well, Ish. maybe not as... 
good as some fresh. Yeah, in the United fresh. States. But yes, uh, but you can drive around. Uh, you have to get used to driving on the side of the road, but you can drive around and you can read all the street signs and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, you can just travel all around Europe as much as you would like, um, even if it's just on a long weekend. Um, in terms of the substantive job, I would have to say my favorite job wasn't any one job. It was any job in which I was able to practice in the area of international operations law. I wasn't, you know, I, I developed that as a specialty in part because I was interested in it, um, and the Air Force allowed me to to engage in that practice area for several assignments, several years. Um, and I, to this day, it, it is where I uh, am automatically drawn in terms of interest level and passion and um, what I love to talk about, which I guess we'll find out in the part that two of this podcast. Amazing segue. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah. One last question before we move on to the end of this podcast, beginning of our next one. What advice do you have for someone who's interested in becoming a drag now that they've heard you talk it up so much they were ready to take that plunge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, collect information, gather information, and don't restrict it. Uh, ahead of time, meaning, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of law students and they've either met an Air Force JAG or they met an Army JAG somewhere along the way, or maybe they did an internship with one of the services, because we have, uh, most of the services have summer internships for law students, so you can kind of get a glimpse by working on a base and working in a legal office uh, for a summer. Um, I always tell them, don't think that just because you had a great internship, you know, at an army base uh, when you were in law school, don't assume that that means I'm only applying to be an army JAG, right? I always encourage them, at least look at the other services um, and consider... Consider Air Force. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I also encourage that in part to law students who are looking at becoming a JAG because all of the JAGs application and acceptance processes, they're very competitive. And I think um, a lot of law students don't realize that, that it's not just about, hey, I'm willing to raise my hand, so can't I just walk through the door? Um, And it doesn't work that way. Uh, Most of the services uh, for for the past really decade, the acceptance rate from applications from law school students to become JAGs is well below 15% acceptance rate. So I never want to hear a law student kind of restrict their options even before they kind of approach uh, the application process. And I encourage them to get information, collect information, and consider all the services if you're looking at becoming a JAG. And just a little um, coda for people who are already in the service and thinking about cross-training, into JAG. Are there any opportunities to do that? Absolutely. And that's true whether you're enlisted. Um, So you're just either maybe you finished college as an enlisted uh, member of any of the services or that uh, you're you've maybe you've even started law school as as an officer perhaps on your own time. And so again those are all those programs where is it that uh, what kind of service do you see kind of on the other side of law school? Um, And is that as an active duty person, as a reserve, in the guard? uh, And uh, are you interested in having the service pay for you to go to law school, which of course is a very appealing opportunity. I was going to say. From personal experience, give it a try. Exactly. (laughs) Or is it that you just want to go into, you know, a non-active status um, while you're in law school and a- until after you graduate, at which point you become 
uh, active duty again. So you're referring to our funded legal education program, which funded um, or um, excess leave program, which is not funded, but you're still allowed to um, keep your uniform on. Exactly. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention at this point, um, and I'm allowed to throw in this uh, pseudo advocacy since I no longer (laughs) on active duty. Um, So a program that JAGS as well as lots of other uh, lawyers who are in public service, both military service as well as other forms of public service, have taken full advantage of in the past years is the fact that there there is loan repayment of law school debt for JAGS. And JAGS of all the services have definitely taken advantage of that. So as law students move about in the world and consider different career options, and uh, I would hope consider public service options, they should also be paying attention to the fact that um, that is subject to approval by Congress (laughs) and sign off by the president on a regular basis. And while you think it might not be related one to the other until you're no kidding right in the mix of it, I think it's important um, both military service and public service legal jobs across the board to understand the significance of those loan repayment programs and how much it opens opportunities for people who otherwise, because of financial reasons and law school debt reasons, wouldn't be able to consider public service or even military service. Absolutely. That's a huge incentive. I bought a house as a 1L because I was on FLEP, and that was not an experience that many of my classmates had. So do consider it. Um, well, thank you, Julie, so much for sharing uh, your career highlights with us and telling us about the JAG. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. We've loved having you in. Thank you so much. I, I always love to talk about <laughs> the JAG course and especially try and encourage folks to aim high, as the Air Force says, and put in an application for the JAG course. Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. All right, folks, and in the notes to this cast, we always hyperlink the bio of our guests, and so Julie's will be there today, and the JAG recruitment page. So please visit us at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. And we'll be back next week to continue the conversation with Julie. Remember to hit that subscribe button on your app of choice. Drop us a note at nationalsecurity at americanbar.org or on Twitter at ABA NatSec. Follow us on Twitter, folks, at ABA NatSec and on Facebook. We welcome your feedback. And we're sure you remember that the attorneys hosting this podcast are here in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or firm, but repetition doesn't spoil the prayer. See you next time on National Security Law Today. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.